listening to the Arsenal Rumble. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Arsenal Rumble, where today we managed to get a massive three points up at St. James's Park in a huge second versus third clash in the Premier League uh, this afternoon. Um, to help me talk through this game and all the match events that went down is my co-rambler, Dave. Dave, did you enjoy that game? I did enjoy that game, yes. That was a, that was a close game, you know. That was a hard-fought game. It was... It was um, it was really sort of like scrappy at times, wasn't it? And um, I don't know. I just you could feel the tension in the stadium. The fan, the, the you know the the home fans for Newcastle were were brilliant as they always are at St James's Park, and that's almost one of the big battles you've got to get over because they get in at you it's like from the minute one. Um, and uh, the Newcastle players do seem to thrive off that a little bit. So yeah, absolutely buzzing to to come away with um a win here and you know going into this game I, I know you messaged me saying are you confident and I found it hard to sort of answer that uh pre-game but because one thing that was coming back to me was the previous fixture you know last season where ultimately we we missed out on Champions League football after a really disappointing game um but it looks to me that you know we've we've become a much stronger team and we're, in a, we're able to to come to places like this and, and really put in a, a, you know, a brilliant performance. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And um, yeah, this was one of those um, fixtures that were, were on our remaining list of fixtures, which we looked at and it could have been a potential banana skin, wasn't it? Going away to Newcastle, a team that have been performing really well in the Premier League. They're fighting for a Champions League spot. They're currently one position below us in the table. So it was somewhere where we might have faltered and somewhere where we might have become unstuck. Um, as we saw earlier in the season, we didn't manage to actually beat them at home. Uh, and it would have been an even tougher task to go away to St. James's Park, or so we thought. So, yeah, I did, did think it was going to be a pretty difficult game. Um, and as you say, we have that history of last season faltering right at the end, uh, that being pre- pretty much the pivotal game after the, we lost the Spurs game. Uh, which stops us from getting Champions League football for this season. Um, but it just shows you how how much both teams, to be honest, have grown in, uh, in stature from that game because that did really... The game last season was a, a, an example of a... A uh, higher end team versus a lower end team, them trying to counter attackers. And then when we kind of lost our bottle a little bit when the game was getting away from us, that's when they came on to us. Whereas this was a really quick fire, end to end, lots of chances for both teams. It was a really, really exciting game to watch. Um, and if you're a mutual fan, I'm sure they would have enjoyed it as well. But for me, you know, it, it was stressful as ever, mm. as pretty much most games have been this season. It was stressful watching the chances against us and uh, the chances that we, you know, ended up missing as well. But uh, we're going to get into all of that um, after we've talked about the team sheets for today. Mm. Now, Jorginho managed to keep his place, um, rightly so, do you reckon, or...? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the previous podcast, didn't we? Um, how, you know, he, he put in a really solid performance and, and Partey's not really been playing well recently. So, yeah, he, he had to keep his place because of the message it sends to the rest of the rest of the lads. You know, you play well and 
you don't keep your place, then you know that's not a, it's not a great message. And and obviously we'll get into it later. But Jorginho was absolutely quality today. Um, so he thoroughly um, showed why he deserved that that starting spot. So yeah, I was really thrilled to see to see him keep his keep his spot. Yeah, yeah, I, I was actually. Um, quite excited to see him back in the in the starting eleven, and it, it shows that Arteta has built this meritocracy at Arsenal. That if you're playing well and you've you've earned your spot, then you should keep your spot, um, and that's really great to see because no player should just have the authority to be a first name on the team sheet, and even if they're in bad form, they stay in the team. For example, Thomas Partey, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't keep his place in the team even if he's underperforming, which. To be fair to him, he has been underperforming recently. Uh, mm. He's been incredible this season, most notably before the World Cup. But, you know, the last four or five games that he's had, he's really underperformed. So the fact that Jorginho stepped in, came in against Chelsea, had an absolutely, well, he had a great game against Chelsea, his former club. Um, it mm. was only right that he played again in this game. Um also, Kirill kept his place um, alongside Gabriel, who we, we thought it would be a doubt for this game, but luckily he was able to actually start. Um, were you happy to see that partnership for the second time in a week? In a week or? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd, I think one of the biggest reasons why we dropped so many points in the last, you know, in those four pivotal games um, was because of the back line and... Um, you know, I hate to say it, but Holding was probably a big part of that. Um, whereas Kivior, he just seems a bit more calm and composed, despite being, you know, new to this league, uh, new to this country, new to this team, playing on the right hand side when he's used to be on the left. You know, he looks like a real player. You know, um, he's shown real composure. Um, so, you know, this little twenty million pound um, player that we signed in January looks like a you know, like a real steal at, at this moment. And you can understand why we got in there quick because I know that there were some big teams sniffing around him in Italy. So we've, I think we've, we've done quite well to get this. And it, it just makes me think, I, I wish he was in the team a little bit earlier, but um, hindsight is a wonderful thing, I guess. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I would like to say as well, is the fact that, yes, he's performing really well now and um, we can all be hindsight merchants, so to speak. But I think before he played in that Chelsea game, um, we were all kind of questioning him playing. Uh, it, well, we were kind of happy that he was starting because we needed something different from Holding because Holding had really underperformed. But I even said to my friends in group chats and things, I said, look, Kivior, he's a bit of a headless chicken. He's not very composed. He's rash. He's chaotic. Um, and that was because I only had a really small, bite-sized kind of sample of of seeing him in an Arsenal shirt. I'd only seen him in the game that we played in the Europa League and the game that we played against, I think it was Liverpool, that he came on in the second half to try and shore up the defence. But that that game state really didn't suit him. So I had a really small sample size of, of, of Kivior, and I was quite negative about him coming into the team. So I think before that run of games that we had, which we dropped points most notably against West Ham and Southampton, I, I don't think anybody would have said that we should be having Kivior on the team over holding. I think looking back on it, 
backing on it now, it probably would have been the better better partnership to have to have had. But you, you're looking at the face of it, and you, you, you're thinking. Holding and Kivior, neither of them are really that competent of, of what we had seen of Kivior. Neither of them were, were that competent at that time. Rob Holding, he's a right centre-back and we have a hole in right centre-back. Kivior is a left centre-back, so it makes sense to put Holding in. And yeah, I kind of understood it at the time, but knowing what we know now, the only thing that I would maybe criticise Arteta of is that we should have brought him on in more games. We should have given him more game time before we got to this run, before we got to this potential problem, this potential mm. speed bump that that one of our starting eleven Saliba is going to be injured, so that he's up and ready. And we we've we've seen enough of him to be like, okay, we can trust him in that position, which is what we're starting to see from him now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, I understand the other side of the coin as well because it's hard to bring on centre-backs in, in games because traditionally it's not the dumb thing to just change your back line, especially that centre of defence um, mid-game, unless you're making some sort of tactical substitution to to you know maybe go to a back five or something like that that we've done in the past with, with Rob Holding. Um, it's so much easier to just put on a, a Nelson or a Trossard because they're attacking players. And if they don't quite do what they're meant to do, then, you know, then we haven't really lost anything. Whereas if you bring on a defender and they don't quite perform how you'd expect them to, or make a little mistake, it can cost you the game. So it's that trust element, isn't it? And that's why the Europa League uh, was so crucial for, for Kivior. But we just didn't have him earlier on in, in the season to be able to play him in the games that were, were probably more suited to him to to you know to to bed himself into this team because you know we signed him in January it was it was too late by that point so it, it, it's a hard one but um, yeah I think you're dead right I think that the holding performances allowed us to to go with Kivior because something had to change we were left with no other choice to be honest um, and thankfully it's worked out really really well um, but it, it just goes to show. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Rob Holden is going to be of the caliber to to play in this this Arsenal team going forward, which is a shame because he does seem like a really likable character and a nice lad to have around the dressing room. But unfortunately, you can't just have nice lads around the dressing room. We've got we've got to be challenging for the Premier League next year and hopefully in you know in Europe as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't keep a player just because they've got a nice personality. It's, it's not, you know, it's this is top level competition. If you want to be winning these 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 highest trophies and these highest honors, then you can't just have people that are stinking out the place, can you? Um, no. In terms of their performances, so no, you, you definitely can't. And you, the thing is with Rob Holding is. He has he has got a use, and it's whether he's happy enough to have that use. And it's kind of a break glass in in case of emergency. You know, your backs against the wall. You're winning one nil. You're in the last. 10, 15 minutes, you bring him up to to be able to clear these balls that are flying into the box. That is Rob Holding's role. That's his expertise. He's great in the air. He's a great inside-the-box defender. But in, in terms of being a progressive defender, in terms of being good on the ball, he just seriously lacks in those departments. So I, I do think he's not going to be a, a fit for Arteta. And yeah, it speaks volumes that somebody is playing out of position ahead of him and performing better than him <laughs> and is keeping the spot ahead of Rob Holding and Kivior 
um, he, he, you know, I don't think he's going to be a, a massive part of our future. Um, mm. But yeah, that, I think that kind of sums it up for the centre backs. And I think Trossard lost his place in the team as well today, mm. didn't he? And uh, Martinelli came back into the fold. Yeah, uh, I wasn't really too surprised about this one because it, it seemed like a game where pace could um, be a weapon for us, you know, uh, on the counter. We know how Newcastle like to start games quick, uh, which is exactly what they did. Um, and we were going to have to sit back a little bit and try and defend. Um, you know, it's, I suppose it's not exactly the, the the exact way the game went because it was later on in, in the game when Martinelli got his counter-attacking goal. But um, yeah, you know that's what he's he's there for. He's a like Saka. They're very good in one-on-one situations, and they do have a six-foot-seven Dan Byrne on the on the left, and and then Trippier, who's not the fastest um, out there on the right. So it seems like a, a game where pace could really be a mismatch for us. So yeah, I wasn't really too surprised with that. I, you know, I do feel for Trossard there because. Do think he's been playing well? It's just hard to to fit everybody in. But I think if, if he's the one player that maybe would feel a little bit aggrieved as to not be in the team. But you know, it's a you know it's a competitive squad at the minute, especially up top. So we need to you know we need to rotate accordingly and play the best eleven suited to that that particular game. Mm. And, and for this game, for me, it was Martinelli. Yeah, exactly. I think it is a factor of rotating minutes as well. You think that Martinelli, he came on against Chelsea for, what, the last 30 minutes or so? Um, and Trossard had already played an hour of football by that point. Um, so it, it's just Arteta managing minutes. You, you think that you, if you have a Martinelli who had played for... Uh, or, or say, sorry, if you have a Trossard who'd played for a full hour against Chelsea midweek... He might not be he might not be raring to go against this team. Whereas you've got a Martinelli who's, you know, just got up to speed in that Chelsea game and then he is ready and raring to go. It's almost like he's had a training session midweek to then be able to play this game at the weekend. So, you know, you can't be expecting players to be playing 90 minutes midweek, 90 minutes of the weekend. So I think, yeah, it, it is fair enough. And Trossard, he's the kind of player that can go into any of those front three roles and uh, rotate in and out. And he's more than more than competent to be able to fulfill those those shoes that he replaces. So, yeah, I, I, was, I was quite happy about that. And um, it, 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 always, it always reminds, it always looks to me that it reminds Martinelli that, oh, hang on a minute, my position's not safe. I need to try harder. And he always seems to play better after he's been out of the starting 11 for the next game. Um, which yeah. is good to see. But um, we didn't actually end up starting the game like a house on fire, did we? Um, I think we expected to have have a few of these moments at St. James's Park, especially after seeing what, what Newcastle have turned into this season. They've been a really solid team at home and they've scored a lot of goals recently. But yeah, we just... I think we had a bit of a shaky start. We didn't look like we were taking control of the game. And within the first couple of minutes, Jacob Jacob Murphy had a shot which then rocketed back off the off the post. Which, you know, if that goes in, you're one nil down away at St James's Park in the second minute. You're thinking this is going to be like another Bournemouth situation, but on steroids. This is this is just exactly not. Mm. Not the game plan at all, is it? No, yeah. In that first five or ten minutes, I had little flashbacks to that game where they absolutely battered Tottenham. 
And I was thinking, oh no, we're not about to get our sort of just desserts for laughing at them, are we? Like <laughs> because that was that was a close one um, from Murphy. It was a good bit of play from him, to be fair. But um, yeah, just uh, just hit the bar and. Um, yeah, you, you can't help but feel we got away with it a little bit there. And um, but it, like I said earlier, it, it's what's to be expected when you go to St James's Park. They always start the first, you know, ten sometimes fifteen minutes, really, really intense. And I'm talking like that press where it's just relentless, and it real and and the crowd are sort of jeering at you like from minute one as well. And it and it, but we saw it at City a little bit where the crowd got to Arsenal in that first that sort of phase of you know of play and I thought oh is it is it going to be another one of these games where we just don't rise to the occasion um so yeah I was getting a little bit worried at that point and and obviously maybe a few minutes later they get that that penalty um uh that was given as a, a handball and I thought oh, here we go um you know they've they've got the the look of the, the you know probably like a, a lucky bounce off an arm. Um, but and, and I, when I first saw it as well in real time, I thought that is definitely a penalty. He's, he's put his arm towards it. But then watching it in VAR, it's just absolute clearly hits his thigh, doesn't it? Um, so we finally mm. got one from VAR. We finally got a decision that's gone our way. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, that, that's something that is worth bringing up, the fact that we are overly critical of referees and critical of VAR, um, and rightly so, um, a lot of this season with decisions that have been made. But in this instance, and it's not even a biased opinion, it is clear as day, the ball it, the ball comes off Kivior's knee, up his upper thigh, isn't it? Comes off his upper thigh, and then it may or may not bounce onto his hand from there, but his, his hand's so tucked in by that point that it's not it's not the main part of his body that's impeded the shot, so to speak. He can't cut his arms off. And if his arms are by his side and it's hit his thigh and then hit his hand, then it can't be a penalty. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great call from the refs. But, yeah, as you said, we'd had that chance that came against us. And then I, in real time, thought that that was a penalty as well before I saw the VAR. And I was thinking, we're going to get absolutely smoked here. We're going to, you know, Newcastle, they're turning up. The fans are on us. You can't hear our fans because for some reason at St. James's Park, they're, they're about a mile and a half away <laughs> at the top of the stadium, um, which I think is a bit strange because you go to any other ground, the away, the, the away area is always in like a corner of the lower tier so they're at least close to the pitch and they at least have a chance to try and influence their noise on the game i know at the emirates it is it's in in the uh, in the corner um but yeah i just find it strange that at newcastle it is a proper away end you know far away and mm. um yeah so it was hard for them to try and influence any noise on, on the game um in that early stage. But yeah, you just kind of felt like we were go- coming under the cosh a little bit in the first 15, 15 minutes or so. And uh, we really needed to pull something out of the bag to try and weather this storm and then string a few passes together, get over this th- th- this uh, time of sustained pressure and be able to start creating chances for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and going back to the um, the away fan section, it, it does make sense, though, doesn't it? Like thinking about it, like to to put your away fans right up in the gods where they can have less of an influence on a game, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I don't know why more teams don't do that. I know at the Etihad they've done it before, 
Um, I specifically remember in the in the League Cup game against us, uh, we were right up in the gods. Um, we were still louder than than them all game, uh, but um, it's not hard to do that at the Etihad. Um, but you know, it's these little tactical advantages that you you want to create when you're at home, like i.e., giving the away dressing room hardly any, you know, making it much smaller and more basic. Um, you know, the, all these little things to make it not quite as a, a pleasant trip for the for the away team. So, yeah, um, I know what you mean. It was, um, yeah, uh, it was one of those starts where we just we needed to find a little bit of a grit to get back in the game, didn't we? And eventually we sort of did. We started to string more passes together because at the, at the start we were just really sloppy, not able to, 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 you know, to get many passes, at, you know, more than two or three in a row. It was a bit like, bloody hell, how are we going to get a foothold back in this game? But we did and eventually it, it, it works its way out to... Um, to Jorginho, doesn't it? And he he sort of finds Odegaard just on the outside of the box, and and he slots away absolutely beautifully, an absolute lovely strike from Odegaard, and that's actually equaled Cesc Fabregas' record for an Arsenal midfielder in a single Premier League season to be on fifteen goals. So that's how well he's done, and and this is one of the things that we've always commented on Odegaard. You know, can he add goals to his game as well as this creative talent that he's got? And, and he really has shown that this season. And um, and the captain has come up clutch, you know, today and um, he deserves immense credit for it. Yeah, and he's done that quite often this season, hasn't he? The, the amount of times that he just pulls a goal out of the bag, like a long ranger outside the box a goal that we've not really seen from many other players in our team at all this season. You know, we we try to always work into the box, work into the best positions to be able to finally score. But he is one of those players that really takes the game by the scruff of the neck. As you say, a captain's performance, gets the ball, rifles it into the net, and then it's a... Okay, boys, you know, we, we've kind of absorbed the pressure and we've got through it and now we're 1-0 up and we've got something to hold on to kind of thing and to build on and progress from there. But I think what's underrated in this move is the the movement that Jorginho makes um, because, as you say, we hadn't been able to, to string two or three passes together, but the ball comes to Jorginho and he's looking in the direction of Saka to, to almost say, right, I'm going to pass it back out wide and he sort of does like a double body feint so that the Newcastle defence all take a step to the to the right um, to their left to our right and then reverses it back to Odegaard and that gives Odegaard just an extra half second a uh, couple of half yards of space to be able to pick his pick his point and then yeah it's a great strike and gets it bottom corner and um, we, we're getting used to Odegaard scoring for that kind of area and it, it's really nice to see um, I think that's is that three in the last two games that he scored now? Um, he's, yeah. he's in great form. And, um, and and that's the thing as well. He he is getting goals, but he is also creating so many opportunities. Um, I think not long after he's actually scored that goal, we had two unbelievable opportunities. The first of which was created by Odegaard, who, who laid it off to Martinelli, who initially I thought he was offside. Um, but he was onside and he's one-on-one with Pope and I think he should do better here to be honest Pope makes a good save with his leg but I do think Martinelli should definitely bury this one what do you reckon? Yeah I think out of the big chances we had in that first half I think that was probably the one where 
Martinelli had to make Pope work a bit better. He didn't really... It was a good save by Pope, but one that most keepers would save because it was essentially right at him. He had to tuck it away in the corner or go across him. Um, so, yeah, disappointing because that it felt like a, a key moment to, to really you know, provide that little bit of a sucker punch because they were finding their way back into the game slightly. It was very close in that first half at, at moments. Um, and and yeah, the, these big chances, I felt like we had to take them. And I said to you at half time, I said, if we don't win this game, then we're going to look back at these chances and really kick ourselves because they're Newcastle are going to get chances in this game. And it's just a matter of, can we be more clinical than them? Thankfully, we were on the day, but you know, it, on a different day, you know, it, we could be talking about a different scoreline here because Saka also had one where he went absolutely clean through and shot it straight at Pope. Um, another massive chance, and you just couldn't help but think, oh, is this going to be one of these days where we're just not clinical? We're just not going to be able to to take our chances when we get them. And and we know with this Newcastle team, they don't offer you many chances, especially at St. James's Park. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think with that Saka chance as well, um, he needs to keep that on the ground really, doesn't he? Because he's through on goal and I don't know if it bobbles up or, or anything, but he hits it and it's the perfect height for Pope to just, he doesn't even really extend his hand out to it, does he? He just kind of, almost elbows it away sort of thing. Um, he, he, he needs to try and make Pope work for this, um, keep it on the ground, go for the far corner or try and bend it round him. But yeah, he just made it too easy for him. Um, and as we saw, you know, we, we went 1-0 up, we had these massive opportunities. But with our form in recent games and seeing that we get pegged back even from two goalies, we, we knew that one goal, 1-0, probably would have been enough um, because the sustained pressure that Newcastle would have would have uh, brought onto us. And we saw that not long after that Saka chance, I think it was Joe Willock um, who got put through on goal and he had... He had he had a decent shot and it was really, really well saved by Aaron Ramsdale. But that was at a point of the game where it could have potentially been a tipping point to to bring Newcastle back to one all, And then you feel like we would have, you know, rushed to panic stations and had a, a hectic 10, 15 minutes or so to try and get to half time to try and regroup and, and uh, be able to get back into this game and get a foothold into the game. But, you know, Aaron Ramsdale makes that save just as good as a goal. Yeah, and another quality save by Ramsdale. I think he had a great game, to be fair. I think it was one of his better ones over the last few few we've seen from him. Um, but yeah, another key moment where he had to make that save. And it, it felt like a, a narrative that I was almost expecting. You know, the, the return of Joe Willock um, haunting Arsenal after, you know, we sold him to Newcastle. It... I always seem to get that feeling when we're we're playing against a, a player that we that we used to have that they're, they're bound to score against us. Um, but uh, yeah, he had some big chances in this game. Actually, not not big chances, but he had chances, you know. Um, but thankfully, yeah, I think um, Ramsdale rivaled them all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think something that we we both said as well is we got to half time and we said that. You know, our overall kind of, um, you know, our overall kind of evaluation of the first half was the fact that 
Newcastle came onto us at the start. We weathered the storm. We went 1-0 up. Uh, we had some good chances, conceded a few as well. But overall, we'd, we'd probably been just the just edged being the better this side. And we were kind of lucky to have not conceded. But one thing that we both said to each other was that Zinchenko was probably our weak link in that first half. He... Mm. It, <sighs> In terms of his creative capabilities, he is a wonderful player to have, a, a great asset to be able to step into midfield, to be able to play those balls, to be able to you know, make these through ball passes that other left-backs wouldn't even be able to dream of making. But his defensive awareness or unawareness is is really lacking. He, he, he seems to let players run off him all the time. He gets beaten really easily. He doesn't have the pace to be able to compete with physical uh, wingers. And um, we, we both said to each other, look, we're winning 1-0. Um, at this point, we would have both brought on Tierney just to try and shore up that defence, wouldn't we? Without a doubt. We were both screaming for it, weren't we? Like Tierney had to come on at half-time for me. Um, it just seemed like such an obvious substitution. And maybe in Arteta's mind, he didn't really want to to do it because it does send a little bit of a message to that to the player to Zinchenko that you know you've not had a good half and it can be quite damaging in that respect. So maybe he was just trying to to save face. And I think there's no coincidence that he came on bang on sixty minutes because I think a sixty minute substitution is about the earliest you can make one without it seeming like an insult <laughs> does that make sense you know it um so i don't know i don't know if that played into it a little bit um but yeah he, he's had another stinker um and we said it again in, in in the previous podcast um against chelsea that he did not have a good performance then and it is starting to become a little bit of an issue and yeah, he, he in these one-on-one situations, he just does not fill me with confidence at all. Um, it, it, it just didn't seem like a game for Zinchenko, did it? I think Tierney is much more suited to these to these sorts of games. These tough away fixtures. Um, it seems like such a Tierney game, and I think we'd be foolish to 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 let Tierney go in the summer, um, knowing what we know now that that he he has got a still a massive role to play in this team. It's just whether we can convince him to to accept this role. Um because Zinchenko, you know, it's it's a sort of a risk v reward relationship with him. And often the the reward does outweigh the risk. So it do, it is worth um going with Zinchenko, especially in in you know home games and games where you know we're going to have plenty of the ball, which, to be honest, is the majority of games now because we are a possession-based team. So it's whether we can convince Tierney that, you know, he's still got minutes to play. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a, it was certainly a um, a weak game for Zinchenko and it was that moment where he got absolutely t- turned and, and, and he, all, he fell over, didn't he? He, he just was all all over the shot with his stance. Uh, one little drop of the shoulder from, uh, I think it was Murphy, was it? Um, and Or maybe Joe Linton. And um, yeah, he was on the floor. It was, yeah, it was quite disappointing to see. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. The thing is, though, the the whole Zinchenko versus Tierney debate, like, it, it will go on until, you know, until one of them actually ends up leaving the club because they're both 
such great players but in different ways and they both bring different things to the team and then if for example you have Tierney playing and we end up you know not scoring we'd say oh well we we lacked creativity that Zinchenko brings to the team we weren't able to create enough with Tierney at that in that area but then if we have Zinchenko in the team and then we're defensively weak and we're getting balls going in behind on that side and we're really starting to struggle, um, then we're going to say, oh, well, we should have had Tierney on to be able to shore up that side of defence. Um, so I think no matter who we've got on, there's always going to be a, a weak spot for one of them. You know, I don't think we're ever going to have... What we need to do is just kind of have a hybrid Zinchenko slash Tierney that could do everything that they both they both could do. But, I mean, you know, that would be an unreal player that we'd never be able to actually um, bring into the squad. But, yeah, I think... <laughs> The reason for having both of them is that when the game state dictates uh, we should have Tierney come on and then he should come on, like he did in this game. So I think Zinchenko, he was starting to get overrun. He was starting to have players get past him, players run off him uh, way too easily, way too often. And um, we said we were shouting for Tierney to come on. He ended up coming on 60th minute. And the difference that you saw between Zinchenko and Tierney when Tierney came on, wow. Uh, every, because they had so much joy on that side, that that, that right-hand side for, for Newcastle, they were still trying to play those balls. And... Tierney just gobbled everything up, didn't he? He, he was straight onto everything. He outpaced, he outmuscled, he outplayed any player that was trying to get past him. And not long after Tierney actually came on, um, he intercepted a ball that went behind him, which he was alert to, which is something that Zinchenko hadn't been all game. He was alert to that ball, won it back, and then that kick-started a counter-attack for us, which we were then got all the way up to the other end of the pitch, which Martinelli got the ball, had a one-on-one with the defender, puts it into a dangerous area, and then Fabian Scher, you know, great finish into his own net. Now, mm. that... That is the difference between Zinchenko and Tierney uh, in, in terms of a positive for Tierney. You know, he's got a defensive awareness, can be able to kickstart an attack and we've ended up scoring from it. Yeah, and it's the difference between three points and potentially zero because, you know, they they, they did have opportunities to get in and they were targeting that side. Uh, and yeah, like you say, when Tierney came on, that ended because he gobbled everything up, like you said. It was it was brilliant. Um and uh, I know I'm going back again, but I can't help but think, you know, had we have brought Tierney on in some situations, especially in those games where we'd gone 2-0 up and then we ended up, you know, drawing or whatever, um, the Liverpool one especially because Zinchenko ultimately gets nutmeg by Trent and then Firmino scores the goal. So, you know, you can't help but think, oh, I would have just done this back then. Um, but... Um, Again, hindsight's a wonderful thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really glad that um, Tierney's showing um, that he's still got this this uh, this part in this team um, because he is a fan favourite and he's, yeah. a, he's a favourite of mine too. So do you think that this is maybe on Arteta, the fact that he should maybe be more aware of the strengths and potentially pitfalls of his squad and be able to react quicker in those scenarios to be able to bring certain players in to be able to shore up those areas. For example, you know, um, 
obviously I don't really want to talk about Man City too much, but if there's fires in the Man City team, then Pep's quick to put them out. He's quick to mm. make a change and be able to, to be able to sort it out for the next game or for, or, or whatever or the, the, the scenarios. Um, but if if Arteta is quick to recognise, like, look, I've got Kieran Tierney here. He's a great defensive player. We're under the cost. We're winning a game. Zinchenko's up against it. Let's just you know pull him off. Tierney go on, show up the defence. Whereas, mm. you know, I think sometimes he's got to be a bit more authoritative and just say, look, it doesn't matter if I pull you off for 45 minutes or 50 minutes. If you're not performing well, then I need to make a sub. And you're going to get your chance again this season. Like, There's no mm. doubt about it. I'm not going to hook you off and not play you again. Um, but yeah, the game state dictates that I need to take you off the pitch. And I need to put Tierney on. Um, do you think that's something to to do with Arteta, and then he should know his squad depth more, and he should have more faith in in his defensive players? Or I think it's always been a um, in game management that's Arteta's biggest weakness, um, and that that's not to be as of a huge surprise because he is still a very young manager learning on the job. Essentially, this is his first. Um, management role in football and yes we might be in three years now but he's almost learning from his previous mistakes if you think back to that game against Knott's Forest where he he hooked off Tavares in the first half that then caused Tavares to get a massive hump and then cause a little bit of friction in the dressing room and then he didn't really play again and then when he did come back into the team he was really really unconfident and just looked awful and now he's had to go out on loan to try and get that confidence back so it can have massive knock-on effects um so that's one end you know one side of the coin and then the other side of the coin is oh well you know in this case keep Zinchenko until 60 then take him off to try and save face a little bit but then there's a risk of you know conceding a goal because of Zinchenko in that time period so it's really hard and it's something that it's there's it looks great when when it goes your way and you've made that substitution and it's worked but then sometimes you might make that substitution and then the sub make a mistake and then you look like an idiot um but this is the this is the job isn't it um um, there's always going to be sort of factors that are out of the manager's control, um, and you've just got to go with with your gut and, and your and your best um, tactical decision in that moment. And um, I think he's definitely getting better, though. Uh, he's definitely learning, um, <clears throat> I think. And you know these um, these drop points in the recent games, I think, show that. You know that's that's why we've seen Tierney today come on at sixty. So. Um, he's certainly learning from these mistakes and he's definitely getting better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And yeah, that's something that I didn't really consider before, the fact that club harmony does actually, you know, hold quite a lot of weight when it comes to having a a happy squad that's going to try and perform for you and to to play well. Um, You know, you, you can't always just be about hooking people off when they're not playing well because as you said then they can be go down a rabbit hole of being uh, having no confidence and not performing well and then that could you know um 
narrow down your options for future games if they're not in the right state of mind to be able to play because it is it is a mental as well as a physical game so yeah i'd never really thought about that in depth but that is that is very true you know you've got to keep your players happy um so that they're willing to perform for you and willing to put 110 percent in because ultimately that's going to be the difference um but yeah yeah i, I was uh, happy to see tierney come on happy to see him make a great contribution straight away we're two nil up and at this point, I think I messaged you and I said, what we need to do now is something which we haven't done in recent games where we've been 2 nil up and just completely nullify Newcastle. Just have a 10, 15 minute period where they don't really threaten us. We don't really threaten them either. Just kind of calm the game down and, and have almost a professional air about is you know game management they call it and i think that's exactly what we did really wasn't it we we, we had a, a a really settled period i'd call it yeah again this is another thing that i think he's learned from the the whole um maybe faking an injury i don't know if that's been a bit too harsh but you know just going down on the ground uh wasting a bit of time um riling up that's probably not what you want to do, rile up their players and fans, but um, a sort of part and parcel of it. And if we if we look back to the reverse fixture at the Emirates, what did they do to us? Waste a hell of a lot of time. So you know what comes what goes around comes around. So they, I don't think they can argue about that. Um, but uh, yeah, we certainly maximised that to our advantage. They even got so peed off with it that when when it that did happen and, and the and game stalled and they were meant to give it back to us instead of just giving it back to Ramsdale. They sort of put it out for a throw in, didn't they? Did you notice that? Which our players did not like. There seemed to be a lot of battles on the, on the pitch. I noticed um, there was Xhaka V uh, Callum Wilson uh, constantly engaging in um, just sort of, well, swearing at each other by the looks of it. Um, G- uh, Jesus v. Trippier, they were in some really heated debates. Um, uh, I'd, I'd hate to, to think what a lip reader would have got out of that conversation that Trippier was having with Jesus. But yeah, there seemed to be battles all over the pitch and we were really getting in their heads. Um, so yeah, I think mentally we, we came out on top in this game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You missed the uh, the biggest one as well. I think it was Inketir and Fabian Cher um, towards the end mm. of the game where uh, where I think it was Cher or Botman. It was one of the two. But as they both went to the ground, um, Inketir was trying to keep it in the corner, waste a bit of time. So Newcastle and their frustration, they gave him a bit of a, a bit of a push as he's getting up. Um, uh, in fact, no, it was more of a bit of a, more than a bit of a push. He, he kind of. Mm almost pushes Nketiah to the side. And then Nketiah, he takes a couple of steps, then he turns around and he's like, hang on a minute, I'm not walking away from this. And then full on pushes him back. And then that's Mm. when all the players dive in and they start throwing a few handbags about. But um, yeah, it's it's always going to have a bit of needle, this kind of game. Um, High tensions, there's high stakes, you know, we're chasing the league, they're chasing top four. Un, unprecedented circumstances for both teams when neither of us been in this situation for a very long time so for for all of that pressure it's going to reach a boiling point at some point and and it did but um yeah it's, it's always quite funny to see that and it's it's something that i notice is the time wasting uh elements to football it 
never seems so bad when you're on the the good side of it you know it's it's mm. so infuriating so frustrating and it's almost like this is disgraced football in fact i was even saying yesterday when we watched the man city game how when um i think west ham scored so not west ham um i can't Leeds. remember who they're playing it's man city Leeds. that was it when they scored um and it was 2-1 after they missed Penny, which was hilarious, and it was two one. Um, they were doing this this time wasting Harland having it right near the byline, going for another corner, and then going for another corner and time wasting. I was infuriated, and I was saying, "How can this be allowed in football? You need to stop the clock every time the ball goes out, like in rugby. Let's change the rules, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But then when we're doing it today, I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, this is really clever play from us. So just try and wind the clock down, you know, get those three points in the bag." And it is, it's just quite funny. I guess it is something which is part of the game, and unless we do end up, you know, stopping the clock when the ball goes out. Um, this, they're always going to do it. Players are always going to do it. P- players are going to feign injuries. They're going to stand in front of the ball if they want to play quickly. They're going to do all sorts to be able to try and wind the clock down if they're in a position to be able to pick up points. So, yeah, mm. it was it was quite funny to be to be doing that. And it is it's nice that we had that game management element of it, and then we managed to not concede many chances in those last those last uh, 20 minutes or so and be able to almost drift Newcastle out of the game it was almost like we were playing at home um in that in that last 20 minutes where we, you know we we still had the ball we still we were still maintaining quite a bit of possession and it was it was encouraging to see that we're playing against a team that's in the top 4 one one league place below us and we still maintained so much control in the game even when we were 2-0 yeah, and and sometimes it's not even just about wasting time. Sometimes it's about just trying to break up momentum in the game because there there were periods of time where Newcastle did have a lot of the ball in that second half that that they could have utilised a bit better. And you know, then we'd we'd break up the play and um, you know go down for a bit <laughs> and uh, break up the momentum and 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 sort of kill that a little bit. And and yeah, it really was getting in their heads. Um, but you know, Isaac had that really big opportunity where uh, I think this was the one where Zinchenko got turned in and out, and you know it ends up he ends up rattling the the bar uh, or the post, I should say, and then um, Ramsdale had to produce that absolute magnificent save, didn't he? Um, I think it was Shah's header. That save, my word. That is one of the best saves I've seen all season. Definitely Ramsdale's best save of the season, I would say, because that was close range. And I know it's at him, but that had some power on it. Um, So again, another big, big save from um, Ramsdale. And then we obviously had the the other big chance for us, probably our biggest of the second half, and that was Martin Ellis, wasn't it, where he sort of bends it and it just clonks the top of the the bar so you know it was end to end but it didn't feel end to end it was just sort of big chances littered around a lot of sort of slow down Mm. play it was it was a strange second half i thought 
Yeah, I, I thought it was strange how it was decided as well because I've got a friend called Ben who's a Newcastle fan and obviously we're giving each other a bit of to and from uh, during the game. And he said to me, he said, it's actually quite disappointing, um, not even from a bias standpoint, but quite disappointing that the goal that was scored that kind of killed the game off was a soggy own goal because of how many great opportunities both teams had had to be able to to, to find that goal. It was It was like the the least threatening chance of all of them um like if you if you get the xg I'm, I'm sure it probably would have been the lowest compared to some of the clear-cut chances most notably you know you say that isaac chance that he had he definitely should have buried that the martinelli chance the Saka chance there were so many which should have been buried and they weren't and uh, for it to for the game to topple in our favor after after that goal it was a a bit of a soggy ending for them but a great ending for us because to be honest i would take any goal if it goes in off someone's someone's arsenal so to speak you know if it <laughs> hits someone hits them on the chest hits them anywhere and goes in then i'm not bothered um as long as we get three points. But yeah, yeah, I, I was absolutely buzzing about that. And it's important that we're still maintaining pressure on Man City. We can't give them a free hand on the title. You know, we've we've been in the lead of the Premier League for, what is it, a stupid amount of time, 170-odd days for this season. So we can't just give up right now. And it's great to see that, you know, we'd, we had that, bad patch of form where we drew against West Ham, we drew against Southampton, lost against Man City and then we're looking and we're thinking, oh god it looks like the title's over, we've got these massive games, we've got to play Chelsea who you know they've been rubbish this season but they look like they could potentially cause us problems um, boy were we wrong, they were rubbish weren't they um, but we, we beat Chelsea and we beat them convincingly, away to St. At St. James's Park against Newcastle, another three points on the board um, so yeah we're maintaining pressure on Man City um, and we've got to look at their games as well uh, I think they've got Everton next but Everton away now normally if this was four or five weeks ago I'd say Man City would absolutely roll that Everton team and they should do um, but you've got to take context uh, into the situation Man City they've got two massive Champions League games uh, against Real Madrid which this Everton game is sandwiched in between. So that, that, that is going to be their priority. Like, like at Olympic, they're going to prioritise that. We know that they've got the depth to be able to deal with that. But, you know, little knocks can come here and there. Players can get tired, fatigued. You want to have Haaland fully fit for the Champions League. So that could be a benefactor of for, for us if um, they end up not having a, 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 a full fully fit Haaland for the Everton game. And also, if you look towards the bottom of the league, Everton are in trouble. They're in real trouble. Um, we've recently just watched West Ham get a win against Man United, which pulls them up to 37 points. So that probably secures them safety out of the zone. So the number of places to be able to survive from this drop are dropping rapidly. You know, you've got mm-hmm. Leicester, Leeds, Nottingham Forest and Everton all on 30 and 29 points. Now, Southampton, I reckon they're pretty much gone. Um, But Everton, they need to pull their finger out. If they're going to stay up, they've got to get a result. And if they're going to get a result, you think it's probably going to be at home. Uh, and hopefully it's against Manchester City. But they they need to do something, honestly, because or else they're going to get relegated. So I wouldn't... I'm not being delusional, 
I don't think that Everton are going to go out and beat Man City, but I do think there is a possibility they're going to absolutely fight for their lives against a potentially tired slash rotated Man City, which could then give us the opportunity to get leverage on Man City. And, you know, I think the maximum that we can end up with is 90 points, right? So their maximum is 94 if they were to draw and lose a game, that would put us in the driver's seat. I don't think a, I don't think two draws is enough for us for Man City. If they get two draws, that won't be enough because of goal difference. So, if if I know we're hypothesising right now, but if Everton were able to get a point against Man City, you know that would really, really. It would, it would lift all of the Arsenal fan base because even going into these games, the last couple of games, Chelsea and Newcastle, they are massive games it's, and it's great to keep the pressure on, on Man City, but it's, it's hard to not feel like the the horse has already bolted and it's hard to not feel a bit underwhelmed about the games because you feel like this might all be for nothing kind of thing. But, you know, if Everton do end up getting something at Man City, uh, if um, at Goodison Park, sorry, then all of that belief is going to come back and you feel like we're going to have a, a really, really tantalising finish to the season, aren't we? Mm. Yep. Um, and yeah, like you said, these remaining fixtures are, they're not easy for City. I, I, they're definitely not easy. And, you know, Chelsea won as well against, um, was it, uh, who was it there against? I can't remember. Bournemouth, was it? Um, so I know mm. not necessarily a tough game, but um they're back onto winning ways um, after that slump, um, six losses in a row. So, yeah, that they might hopefully be able to hit form at the right time to play City. Um, that Brentford game's going to be tough on the last day of the season. They've got Brighton as well, haven't they? Or am I making that up? Is it Brighton? So Yeah, yeah Brighton away. Yeah, Brighton away, away as well. So that that, that is tough. Uh, they've got some tough away fixtures coming. So, you know, we, we've done all we can do. We've we've beat Newcastle, which was the the biggest banana skin of the lot, really, wasn't it? Um, in these final few games, so that's got to give us confidence that we can win the remaining games of the season. And if that's enough, then so be it. If it isn't, then it just wasn't to be. Um, but we can be immensely proud that we've gone toe-to-toe with Man City all the way to, till the end. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed these these cup games, these uh, European games, I should say, um, catch up with them a little bit because they, they did, they, they they came close in that Leeds game. I know it was right at the end when sort of things started to, to happen, but um, we've seen it in, in other fixtures of... of recently where you know the, the second half or whatever i think it was that leicester game where they 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 did drop off so you know it's it's it can happen mm. you know this we've got to have hope still and um yeah it's it's we've just got to keep going and, and hope for the best yeah yeah i definitely agree i think man city as an outfit you look at them as a whole and you think god they're completely inevitable aren't they that they're going to score and they're not going to concede etc but yeah as you say that leicester game they really started to to fall apart towards the end of it they start to switch off the west ham game i know they ended up winning three nil in the end but that was quite a that's not really a real reflection on the game. West Ham were in it for a very long time. They, they really posed City a lot of threat and they had quite a few opportunities. Um, unfortunately, they didn't end up converting. 
uh, and then as you say, Leeds, they they almost got something from the game. So all we need is just for a few few things to align for potentially, you know, a bit of a storm, a bit of a, a narrative, just to try and just for an off day, really. We just need to see time and off day. I know they don't have many, but if they do, then we'll be right back in it. And, well, imagine if it goes down to the final day and we have the potential to be able to win the Premier League on the final day. That would be immense. But as you say, even if it doesn't come to that, the fact that we're at this point, we've already guaranteed... Champions League, which I know is a bit of a meme because it's like, yeah, we'll go for the title and blah blah blah. We've 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 achieved what we set out to. We've achieved the Champions League. That's going to give us all of the scope to be able to get these top tier players, players like Declan Rice, players like I, I know we probably won't get him because he's going to go to Real Madrid, but Jude Bellingham. You know, these are the sort of players which only would go to a Champions League team. So we're now in that echelon of teams to be able to to go forward and and develop our team to the next to the next level but yeah so we've secured Champions League and we've got over 80 points this season that is something to celebrate in itself the fact that we've broken 80 points and we've still got three games left which is unbelievable and it's it's great form and there's so many positives to take from this season so it's it's not all doom and gloom and there's still a lot to play for Uh, and uh, hopefully we can get ourselves back into that winning position. Yeah, man. And, and just going back to your mention of Declan Rice, did you see him in that game against Man United today? My word, he is he is perfect for our system. He is he can play that Xhaka role. Uh he can he can go out on the left and almost act as like the left midfielder at times. He can he can drop back into fullback position to help out. He's all over the pitch and effective everywhere he goes. He would just absolutely elevate our team. And you know, obviously, I'm I'm looking at the reports that uh, suggested that we are heavily interested in in Declan Rice, and we are the 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 favourites, if you will. So, if I'm hoping that that is true, because he really would, he really would improve us massively. Yeah. He'd, he'd provide us with versatility because he can play Partey's role. He can play Xhaka's role. He's English, homegrown, um, solves that quota. Um, uh, he he's just a, a leader. He's the captain of West Ham. He's he's just perfect for this team. Um, and you know, I'm 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 hoping that this is someone that we can get in and get in early you know and then because that would be a, a real a real marker you know uh champions league football that's what he wants he gets to stay in london it just seems like an absolute no-brainer doesn't it yeah it, it does seem like the absolutely perfect signing for all parties involved um you know and you'd think that west ham would probably get a handsome sum for him he's done his part this season you'd think that he's probably kept west ham up now with his contributions to the season um you know there's seven points off the drop of only a couple of games left so you think he'd probably he's probably kept them up and yeah he is just a colossal player isn't he he's so physical he's deceptively quick he's got great feet um his his engine, you know, to get up and down the pitch. He makes great inceptions, great tackles. And then all of a sudden, he's back up the pitch. He'll make a great pass. And then you'll see him on the edge of the box taking a shot. He's, 
he's unbelievable. And um, yeah, to be able to play that that Xhaka role, I think he would be great in that role because as we saw today, a lot of the time just popping up in those left attacking spaces that he would be able to drift into and he's quite technical to be able to, to get in and around the box and... Um, put balls in and and take shots so yeah he would be an, an incredible player to get and as you say you know we're a london club we're going to have champions league football we're going to be the next sort of step for a player like him to you know unless you're going to be a one a, a one man team a one team club um a one team player sort of thing you know a Mark Noble, for example, unless you're going to be that kind of player, it's 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 worth going to the next step. And I think Arsenal is the next step for Rice's career. And um, yeah, I think after watching him today, he would be a perfect fit. And um, fingers crossed we can get our hands on him in the summer. Yeah, let's just hope they don't seem to cling on to this £100 million price tag that, that David Moyes seems to band around. Um saying that you know it'd be worth that much because he probably is worth that much but but realistically he's he's got one year left on his deal you know he's not signing a new deal he's he's been very clear about that so it's now or never to to cash in if you will and yeah we we just seem like the 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 most obvious of clubs he wants to stay in london tottenham and chelsea won't have european football uh champions league that is so, you know, you know, London is red. Join the Reds. <laughs> yeah, it's not even just North London is red. It's London as a whole is red. Um, and that is fantastic to hear, you know, that Tottenham are not going to be, well, I, I think it's really unlikely they'll be able to get Champions League. Isn't it? I don't even know if it's mathematical or not, but he they are, they are not even near those Champions League places. And... Yeah, Chelsea. Well, well, I don't even bother talking about Chelsea, but it's it is incredible to see that how far they've fallen from grace. And uh, yeah, it's just another little um, another thing to. In fact, I think Chelsea with their win is is them guaranteeing them in the Premier League next season, isn't it? I think up until they won that game, they were still in contention for getting relegated, which is crazy, you know, 35 games in, that Chelsea were still in contention to be relegated, which is hilarious. But yeah, um, Brighton next weekend is going to be a a massive game. Um, I think Brighton of our last few games is probably going to be the toughest. Um, Mm. I said that about... Newcastle, where we managed to to get past them, but this is a home game. Um, they're a team that has actually come to the Emirates um, earlier in the season and managed to beat us. That, but that was in the in the cup game. Um, we had a heavily rotated side at that point in the season. So, do you think that we? Do you think that's going to be a tough game because of all of the 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 great emerging players they've got? You know, they've got Caicedo, they've got Matoma, who always looks like a threat. They've, they've got so many decent players. Do you think we're going to potentially maybe slip up in that game? Because that that is something as well that I've not really taken into account as the fact that I'm looking so... I'm so focused on Man City now. I'm so focused on the, the the games that they're playing, the fact that, oh, they might be able to drop points against Chelsea or they might be able to drop points against Brighton away. But then I forget, hang on a minute, we've got to play Brighton. We could quite easily drop points ourselves. Do you think that's something which mm. we could do? Or 
Well, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out completely. But you know, the fact that we're at home is a, a massive advantage. We do seem to raise the level at the Emirates, and, and rightly so. Um, Brian are, are a great team. They're, they're one of the other teams in the league that I I do I like their football. It, it's it is good football. Um, so you know, with Matoma as well, he is a very tricky. Is uh, uh, great at one-on-one situations and driving into into areas. So you know Ben White's going to have um, he's going to have a big game, you know, uh, against Brighton and and, and Matoma. Um, I, I, their centre-back pairing of Duncan Webster is pretty solid. Um, I remember in that Carabao Cup game, we actually went to watch it at the Emirates, didn't we? And um, they, they they were pretty solid all game. Like you say, we did rotate heavily, but um, you know they they are good central defenders and and they are probably underrated in my opinion um and yeah they they've obviously they're they're outstanding players in Caicedo and McAllister are also players that are, are destined to to move on to bigger and better things because they are great players um so they do certainly have key players that can cause us problems but um i think we've 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 won the game that we needed to win and that was today against Newcastle um I think we will will win the the remaining three games of the season now I, I think we I, th- I genuinely think we will um the pressure seems a little bit <clears throat> off us now and although it's still on us to a degree it's it's not as as much and, and it, we're able to sort of cope with it a little bit better and and that's probably why we've started to see a little turn in, in performances um, alongside the the changes in in the team. <clears throat> yeah, I I completely agree with you there. Um, I think yeah, we've got to keep our hat in the ring to be able to to potentially um, jump on a Man City mistake if they end up messing up and uh, keep getting those three points. Keep keep winning and uh, fingers crossed Trossard can uh, pop up and get a hat trick against his old club because mm. you know we love talking about narratives and that that's a great narrative to have maybe maybe yeah. even a bicycle kick from Ben White so to speak you know we'll, <laughs> we'll get all of our Brighton ex-Brighton boys up the pitch in the box and scoring for us but uh, is there anything else you well want to add from uh, today's us. episode or uh, oh yeah it. yeah that is that is true <laughs> yeah no to be honest i think that's it mate i think we've covered just about everything to be fair yeah okay uh so we'll round it up then for today from uh from from st james's park we 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 got we won 2-0, uh, th- another three points in the bag. We're still second in the Premier League, but we're we're hunting Man City down and hopefully going to pounce on their next mistake. But we will be back again next week after we play Brighton and hopefully we will have another three points in the bag after that game. Until then, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Take care, guys. You're listening to the Arsenal Ramble.